I hope you got some of those. That's um, one of many videos that the Alpha course used at the start of their uh, course, which basically asks people, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? All kinds of answers out there today. I wonder, I wonder what your uh, friends or colleagues or neighbours would say <coughs> if you asked them the question, well, who was Jesus? Because he was a historical character. There are non-Christian writings about him as well. Uh, who was this chap? But perhaps they would say similar things. Perhaps some might say, well, he was a good man, as somebody said on that video. Or a prophet, as somebody else said. Uh, or a myth, as somebody said on, a, on an Alpha video. Or a mage, that one of the guys said. Maybe he was a mage, he was doing magic. Kind of doing magic, had magical powers. All these views are out there today. Uh, and interestingly, um, every, pretty much every other religion has something to say on who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Uh, every other religion pretty much has a doctrine or a teaching on who Jesus was. I wrote this uh, a few weeks ago because I heard a debate with a Muslim scholar where the Muslim scholar was saying Jesus was a Muslim and this is why. And we might scoff at that and say, well, hang on, that, that's just nonsense, isn't it? But actually, uh, you know, 1.8 billion people in the world th- believe that. So we have to at least address the question and acknowledge that that's what they think. They think that uh, Jesus was a prophet, uh, a precursor only to Muhammad, another prophet of God. And that is one answer that many millions of people in the world have to who is Jesus. Another billion people say, well, he is a Hindu. Say, yeah, Jesus is a God. He is a God uh, among many gods. So my father was a Hindu. He used to do some priestly duties. And uh, he would say to me, well, why don't you accept my gods, because I accept your God. And sure enough, in his household shrine, along with Ganesh and Shiva and Brahma, there's a little statue of Jesus sitting there. So his, he couldn't understand. Why don't you accept my gods when I accept yours? And so another billion people think he is a God among many gods. Another roughly 15 million of the Jewish race say that Yeshua was a very good Jewish rabbi and also a very troublesome Jewish rabbi. Um, being very good and very troublesome is actually very Jewish in itself. <laughs> and so on. So the Baha'is will tell you that Jesus was a precursor to Baha'is. So a lot of people have a lot to say about who Jesus was. Not many people can ignore him. And it's a question that's out there today. Who is Jesus? It's a great question. It's a question that doesn't seem to go away from thousands of years ago in that passage to today. It's actually a first question that was first posed by Jesus himself. Who do people say I am? He said to his disciples. And it's the question that we're using to start our series in Lent. So the next six Sundays up to Easter Sunday, we're travelling through uh, Mark's Gospel. Mark has written a kind of a journal of Jesus' life from his, uh, the end of his teachings in Galilee, the end of his ministry in Galilee, to his journey to Jerusalem, and then the week in Jerusalem, leading up to Passover. And we'll go through this. Perhaps you, in your readings at home, can work through Mark's Gospel at the same time in parallel. That would be a good thing to do. In the house groups, we'll have studies also following these six sermons, these six stories of Jesus leading up to the cross and the resurrection. Okay, so let's jump into it then. It started out like just another roadside chat. 
It could have been a sunny day, could have been hot, I don't know. Perhaps the disciples were getting stones in their shoes as they walked along this dusty road. But it didn't matter because Jesus is here. Jesus is with us and we're spending time with him. He's got time for us and we're having a good conversation. So Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages near around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? Or what are people saying about me? What are people saying about me? He asks the disciples. It's a safe question because it allows them to say what other people are saying. Well, just as I've done this morning, what do other people think? It's a safe and a comfortable question. And the disciples answer it thoughtfully, thinking, oh, Jesus is asking our opinion. That's good. Let's give him a thoughtful answer. Not expecting the next question. Really, this question was just a precursor for the second question. I like to think that Jesus was walking along and saying, what do people say about me? And they have this conversation. Then Jesus stops and turns to them and says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? What about you? He stops and turns to them. Who do you say I am? So there's two questions here. Who do they say I am? And who do you say I am? And in the spirit of that passage, we'll pose the two questions again today. Who do they say I am? We've already talked about Muslims and Hindus. Who do they say I am? We'll look at everybody in this passage. Who do they say, Jesus says? And then, in the spirit of this passage, I will ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Sounds an obvious question, but let's suspend judgment for a minute that we know the answers, and let's ask the question again. Let's ask these two questions then. The same two questions this morning. And we'll ask, what questions did they make, sorry, what mistakes did they make in this passage? Might it be possible for us to make mistakes, even as Christians, on who Jesus is? Is that possible? Some of their expectations were turned upside down. Some of their expectations were reversed in Jesus. Might it be possible that even as Christians, some of our our expectations might need to be reversed in Jesus? Might that be possible? And we have to take a passage of Scripture like this. Otherwise, we simply come in some arrogance and stand in judgment of of Peter and the disciples. That's an easy mistake to make. So let's ask those two questions. First question then, who do they say I am? Who do they say I am? Says Jesus as he walks along. On the way he asked them, who did people say I am? Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. The disciples replied thoughtfully, Surprisingly, they didn't say, well, some people are saying you're the Messiah. Because some people were saying that. Uh, Particularly demons that were cast out were were saying, this is the Son of God. Uh, But they didn't say that. They gave a safe answer, perhaps a conservative answer. said, oh, lots of people say you're a prophet. And uh, all of these, John the Baptist, (coughs) Elijah, um, are all prophets. In fact, there was a, a view at the time among Jews, that Elijah would return. Elijah, who died in the Old Testament, would, would return to them, who was taken into heaven, rather, who would return. It's partly true. Um, Jesus, in a way, was a messenger of God, wasn't he? Um, he was sent. He does come to bring some message to us. Uh, so this idea that he was a prophet, it's partly true. Do you notice something? That's what Muslims say. 
as well. It's actually what some of the religious people say today, that Jesus was a prophet. Interesting, isn't it, that that view that Jesus was a prophet was actually a view that was out there 2,000 years ago, a part, a partial truth. Uh, But suddenly it gets a little bit uh, more uncomfortable for these disciples when Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, or you are the Christ, in one translation. Jesus warns them not to tell anybody about him. Let's look at this. What did Peter mean when he says, you are the Messiah? Was he right? Yes, Peter was right. He was right. And yes, Peter was wrong. He was completely wrong. He was completely right, and he was completely wrong. We'll come to that. But what is a Messiah? A Messiah, uh, in the Old Testament, was anyone who was anointed with oil, and it could be any king or priest back in the Old Testament. But towards the end of the Old Testament, the phrase Messiah, and in Jesus' day, took on a new meaning, a specific meaning. And so when, in Jesus' time, when they talked about Messiah... It meant someone who was not only anointed, but empowered to do something, to make changes, to deliver Israel from its enemies. Um, In the Old Testament, again, David repeatedly, and David was the the best king they'd ever had, David repeatedly delivered Israel from the Philistines, time after time after time, delivered them from oppression. So their idea was that this Messiah will deliver us, in this case, from the Romans and from our unjust leaders, He will establish a fair kingdom, a righteous kingdom. It was a political name as well as a religious name, which is possibly why Jesus rarely used it of himself. He rarely calls himself Messiah because the the word came with so much baggage. But the disciples and Jesus, as we find out, are actually on completely different pages. What the disciples mean by Messiah is very different from what Jesus means by Messiah. We'll talk about that. But first, I'm just going to go on a little distraction, a little walk, okay? Um, this is not in the main line of this sermon, but I think we should deal with this. Uh, it's a question that people ask, which is why in the Gospels, particularly Mark's Gospel, why does Jesus often tell people not to say anything? came up at our, at our house group this week, where somebody said, why, why does Jesus say don't say anything. Why why is that? So, let's just go down a little rabbit hole for a couple of minutes and then we'll come back to the sermon, okay? We will step back. So, walk with me if you will. Don't tell anyone, says Jesus. Don't tell anybody. And frequently, we see that Jesus healed people and he says, don't talk about this. Don't tell people. Frequently, he silences demons who would say, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, you will be silenced. Or other times, people who recognize him for who he was, like in this passage, when Peter says, you're the Mes-, they say, you're the Messiah. And, they say, and Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And as early as next Sunday, when we talk about uh, the transfiguration, in that passage, we will also see the line, Jesus told, warned them not to tell anybody about this. Why? What for? Isn't that counterproductive? Surely people need to know about Jesus. Isn't it good news? Don't we want people to know good news? So theologians call this idea of Jesus silencing people, they have a name for it. They call it the messianic secret. Good name, isn't it? 
actually wrote an essay on this six or seven years ago, so I went back and had a quick read of it as well. Uh, the messianic secret, particularly a theme in Mark. Why did Mark especially report this, where Jesus silences people? There are several reasons, and all of them could be true, I think. The first one is, actually the disciples didn't get who Jesus was. They didn't know what, what this word Messiah meant. So if they went around saying, he's going to deliver us from oppression from the Romans, Jesus doesn't want them to do that. That's not what I want you to say. You're not ready. You are not ready to talk about me at this point. Another reason is, Jesus didn't want his signs and wonders to overtake his message, which is to bring us into a relationship with God. And so he says, people, don't talk about all these healings and miracles. This is just a sign. It's not the main event. Don't talk about this. And the third reason, which has been, uh, uh, again, put forward, which I think is also very believable, is that Jesus had a timeline, he had a schedule. He, he had to do his ministry in Galilee, he had to travel to Jerusalem, and, he, and it has to be in time for the Passover. And he doesn't want anything to disturb that. If people have started talking about him, about him perhaps overthrowing Romans, goodness knows what, maybe even he could have been arrested before Jerusalem, who knows? But Jesus was in control of that timeline, and it had to happen in this way. Okay, So there will come a time... There would come a time when Jesus will say, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, go now into all the world and tell people of this message of repentance, of baptism, of forgiveness. But even then, in Matthew 28, he says, but wait, go to Jerusalem first while you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Then you will be ready. So there's this idea of Jesus preparing his disciples uh, in the right way before letting them loose. Okay, so let's uh, exit the rabbit hole and get back on the road, okay? So that's just dealing with that. So we're back on the dusty road. Uh, was Peter right when he says, you are the Messiah? Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. It's an incredibly detailed prediction that Jesus gives. He says, the Messiah that I'm talking about will have to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers, and this Messiah that I'm talking about will be killed. And after three days, he will rise again to life. And he says that he spoke very plainly, he made it very clear so they couldn't get it wrong. So Peter, uh, yeah, he was right in Messiah, but he was completely wrong in what kind of Messiah? Completely wrong. The disciples' declaration, you are the Christ, you are the one who will deliver us, who will bring us, save us from oppression, turns out to be not the kind of Messiah that Jesus was talking about. And for the first time in the Gospels, Jesus explains what Messiah means. I'm not going to be that kind of Messiah, that kind of Messiah that you want, that kind of God that you're looking for. That's not what I am. Okay, so um, their response is really, what are you talking about? God, heaven forbid, that's not going to happen. Jesus, don't, don't talk like that. This is worrying. Heaven forbid, they say. Or, or Peter, uh, Peter, took, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, all of them, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. 
You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is horrific for the disciples. Never heard anything like this. Isn't this isn't a Messiah? What are you talking about? This idea of a, of a suffering servant. Isaiah forty two. This is my servant who I've chosen, in whom I'm delighted. That's not what they want. Or this idea of uh, Isaiah fifty five, like a root out of dry ground despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. That's not Messiah. That's not our understanding of Messiah, they're saying. Heaven forbid. They're horrified by their master's fate, and maybe they're horrified by what might happen to them as well. <coughs> Again, there's a similarity here to some other religious views. This idea of a God who brings suffering onto himself as a suffering servant, who is scorned and rejected, the degradation of God... The death of God is completely offensive to many religions today. Completely offensive. In Islam, you obtain salvation by following the five pillars of Islam. In Hinduism, there isn't really such a thing as sin. The gods are playful. They come and they play tricks on each other. Uh, And there's this idea of reincarnation. And every time you're reincarnated, it depends on what you did before. This idea of a, of a suffering God is very unique to our faith. And it is offensive to people. They don't get it, don't understand it. Peter dares to rebuke Jesus. And perhaps the disciples, I think, went away from this thinking, well, that must be some kind of metaphor, some kind of allegory that Jesus is using. Because when it came to Easter, they didn't, still didn't get it. So that's what, who do they say I am? We've looked at who do they say I am from people on, on the Alpha video to other religions to all the people in this passage. Who do they say I am? But now, for the next few minutes, let's look at this question. In the spirit of this passage, who do you, you, not the disciples, who do you say I am, says Jesus? Who do you say I am? So now when we're still walking along the road, but perhaps it's more like a road like this, and Jesus is turning to you and saying, who do you say I am? What's your answer? Just give you a few seconds. If Jesus was asking you that question today, what would you say? I'm not going to ask you, but I suspect many of you, many of us, would come up with uh, phrases He's king of kings, he's lord of lords, he's lord of my life, he's my saviour, my friend, he's God incarnate, he's the son of God, he's the creator of the universe. All of those phrases are true, and yet, and yet, are they not simply names? Names of God are good, but don't we have to go beyond a name to know who somebody is? And if I said to you, um, you know, if you came to see, if, I, if you were meeting me for the first time, and I say to you, well, my name's Chris, and I'm a husband, and I'm a minister. You might go away and say, oh, I know Chris. That's his name, and he's a husband, and he's a minister. But you don't know me from that. You don't know me. You don't know what grieves me. You don't know what I hope for in this world. You don't know what, uh, what, what I'm looking to try and achieve. You don't know what, makes, what gives, brings me joy. You just know names. And names are good. Names of God are good, but they're only a starting point. So Jesus says to us constantly in our lives, 
Who do you say I am? Or more specifically, do you know who I am? Do you really know who I am? See, the disciples, they were physically with Jesus, weren't they? They slept alongside him, they ate with him, but even they got this wrong. Even they who spent months and months with him, their, predict- their expectations of Messiah had to be reversed in Jesus, had to be turned around. Is it possible that some of our expectations that we grow up with, that we tell ourselves, some of our expectations are not gospel? They're not. They need to be reversed also. See, the disciples made a Messiah in their own image. They made a Jesus that suited them because they wanted to think of a Messiah who would set them free from Roman oppression. That's what they thought, that's what Messiah does. So they made a Messiah in their own image. The suffering servant, the root out of dry ground, was not their idea of Messiah. And I think today, we also can make a Jesus, in our, a God in our own image. We can make a Jesus we prefer. We can make, give put an image on God, which is not of God, it's something that we're creating ourselves because we prefer it. Just a few examples. So we can uh, create a Jesus who somehow tells me that my church is right and all the other churches are not really right. That's not, that's not, that's not gospel. We can make a Jesus who disapproves of people who are not like us somehow. We can create an image of Jesus who only loves me at certain times when I behave in certain ways. That's not gospel. That's not of God. But it's what a lot of Christians, it's what we end up thinking sometimes. We can make a Jesus who, he should answer my prayers when, in the way I expect, because that's what he's there for. Why doesn't God do that? We can make a Jesus who pretty much agrees with the way I live. It's okay. I give a bit of money away. We can make a Jesus like that. We can make a Jesus who will never let the worst things in life happen to me or my family. But we know that that isn't true. That's not, we talked about this before, that's not the God who calls us to know him. See, all of those things, they're kind of check boxes, tick boxes that, as humans, we like to have. We want Jesus to be like this and like this and like this. But that's not. That is following a religion, not knowing a person. These, all those things up there are aspects of following a set of rules, following a religion rather than knowing a person. You see, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to start a worldwide movement of religious people. He came to bring us into relationship with him, into a relationship. And he calls us to do that. And following Jesus, I would say, following Jesus is not a religion. See, this thing we call the gospel, it's not a thing or even, or even a message. It's actually a person. The gospel is actually a person. It's the person of Jesus. And coming into relationship means knowing this person. So who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Let's get past the names. <clears throat> I put this in for Jonathan because it's what your hero Augustine. After Jesus, of course. <laughs> Augustine says he is ever ancient, ever new. 
good phrase, actually. Always there and somehow unchangeable, and yet my understanding of him is changing as, as he reveals more and more of himself to me. Ever new, ever ancient, and yet ever new. And this God who confronts us in our over-familiarity, this God who breaks down our false images, even if we've had them for years, this God who undermines our complacency with which we open the Bible or come to church every week, calls you and says, know me, know me. Don't just know about me, that's good, but know me. Don't just know the names of me, that's good, but know me. This is the call to Christians. This is the unique and ridiculous privilege that we have as Christians. <clears throat> it is a ridiculous privilege to know God. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> it is a ridiculous privilege which... <clears throat> Again, to many religious people in the world would be an offence. You can't actually know God. Yes, that's, that's what Christ came to. That is the message. Knowing Jesus is what it's about. Not knowing about him, not even knowing his names, but knowing him. And there's encouragement, <clears throat> even in this passage. Even in this passage. You see, what you will see in this passage is Jesus rebukes the disciples' understanding of Messiah. But he does not rebuke their exploring his identity. And as you go through and look at the conversations that Jesus has with his disciples, he, he's always encouraging them to ask questions, even through mistakes. It's okay. It's okay to get this wrong. As long as you're continuing in this relationship, you will know me. He stays with them in the struggle, and similarly, God stays with us in the wrestle of knowing him more deeply through our Christian lives. And sometimes it is a wrestle. And sometimes we have to put aside old ideas, um, old, what I would call false idols or sacred cows that we've ha held onto for years. They have to be broken down. Someone once said, only when the kernel of a seed is broken can it give birth to new life. And it's okay to keep finding new questions that we can't answer, which we do in, in our Christian journey, which I certainly do. It's okay if we don't know the answer, as long as we know the person who has the answers. It's even a sign that we're, our tr we are trusting in God more and in our rationality less. spoke about this a little bit in December. Uh, I'm not going to go through it all, but we, I spoke about the stages of faith and God as mystery, and how, how we know him as an infant, as an adolescent, and as an adult. And God, in the end, is mystery. And I just use this just to bring back Alice again. There has been an alarming increase in the number of things about which I know nothing, she said. There's been an alarming increase in the number of things about which I know nothing. But that's okay. As we go through our Christian lives, God reveals more of his mystery to us. And it is mysterious. And we don't always know the answers, but we know the person who has the answers. So just to bring things to a close then, who do you say I am? It's an, don't think of it as a question which you have to answer right now fully. It's an ongoing question. That's, that's the wonder. That's the journey that God calls us to. Know me more. No, know me more. 
Now, know me even more. It's an ongoing question in our lives. That's the wonder of our faith. And the answer will develop as we spend time reading the Word, as we spend time reading what other Christians have written who've studied this, listening to other Christians, discussing and debating, being in church like this. Our answer will develop as we let go of our false images, the things that we've held on to perhaps for years, which we then find actually God's not like that. Just as the disciples had to let go of their false image of who Messiah was. And that we realise there is far more than we ever thought to knowing God, this God who is infinite and yet very present, who is unfathomable and yet makes himself knowable, who is ever-ancient and yet ever-new. This God who we find in the mess of life, there in the mess, in the doubt, in the confusion, in the anguish sometimes of life, there is our God calling to us and saying, know me, know me. Let's pray. Father God and creator of this universe, Lord, there is so much to know. Thank you, Lord, that we as a people here today want to know you. We want to know more of this God, Lord, who calls us. Lord, I just pray, Lord, for those perhaps today who don't know you. Help, help them, Lord, to take this step, to know this God who is a servant, who comes not, as a, as a, not to crack the whip, Lord, but to wash our feet. And Lord, I pray for all of us here, Lord, who know you already, but we want to know you more. We want to know you more deeply, Lord. We want to wrestle with those, with those words, with those texts, with those discussions, Lord, with those prayers that will, bring, that will bring us closer to you. I pray, Lord, that this week, this month, this year, Lord, you would, in each, for each of us, Lord, you would call us closer to know you, to know something new about you. And we ask this, Lord, because we are sons and daughters who want to know our Father. Amen.